Welcome back to Fun Views Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Pops. Today's guest is Christoph Forcinetti. Christoph grew up all over Africa, Asia, and Europe, as his mother worked for the UN, and he enjoyed learning about new countries. He quickly became fascinated with microfinance, and after working for a startup in Mexico, he moved to Madagascar to build a microfinance company from the ground up. Christoph eventually decided to move back to his mother's home country of Cambodia and started a VC fund called Obor. Obor is focused on providing capital and advice to small companies to help them grow to the point where they can attract international investment. Christoph has a very interesting background and always thinks about the social impact he is making as much as the commercial success of his investments. Hi, Christoph. Nice to uh, meet you. Thanks for coming on the podcast and and appreciate you taking the time out of your very busy day, I'm sure, to uh, talk to all of us. So uh, first question, where are you from and, and where'd you grow up? So I'm um, French-Cambodian and I grew up in Africa. Actually, I was born in uh, Zaire and um, my mother was working for the UN. So every few years we were changing. But uh, so we, I lived in Zaire, Burundi, Burkina Faso, Rwanda, Kenya before going to France. Wow, that's a very different background and moving around a lot <laughs> in, in very yeah. unique countries. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Especially 40 years ago. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, I'm sure you have some stories to uh, to tell from back then. I know um, uh, I've heard from uh, some family members of mine that, that grew up in Nigeria uh, around that time, and, and uh, they, they tell some crazy stories, you know, snakes coming out of the shower heads and things like that. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, but, uh, Great. So, so what um, uh, what pulled you into finance and investing? You you said your um, your mother was it worked worked for the UN? Yes, she used to work for the UN. Uh, to be honest, finance and investing is a bit uh, is a bit of a, a coincidence. I uh, so after this, I studied uh, mainly in uh, in France, and mm. um, at some point, I I knew I wanted to. Uh, to go back to uh, you know developing countries, frontier uh, countries, and um, and at that time I was interested in microfinance. So uh, uh, that's when I then that's when I I, uh, I had my first position actually in uh, in Mexico, and that's when the the finance career uh, started. Got it. And um, so when when you were in um, college, you were studying in in mainly in France, you said right, but you you did some study abroad. Uh, type scenarios and and why why'd you do that? You just had the the travel you know traveling growing up and and you wanted to continue that. Yeah, absolutely. So coming back to France, uh, you know, it's always strange because uh, when I grew up in uh, in Africa, uh, I was definitely French and I was seen as French. But when I arrived in in France, I was uh, I was fourteen years old and I realized that I was not fully French actually. Uh, that I was really uh, a mix and uh for example i didn't have all the uh you know the the references in in culture or uh or those kind of things so uh, uh i mean i stayed a few years but as soon as i i could uh in in the university there was a, a, a double program with uh, two two other countries so i did one year in the us uh studying and mm-hmm. uh and an internship and i did one year in mexico as well same studying and uh, internship. So I assume you probably know a lot of languages. <laughs> Limited number, uh, 
but <laughs> uh, but no, I, I know them well because I, I spent uh, time there. Yeah. Okay. Um, so tell me about uh, your first career job, and you said it was in Mexico. And how did you find the opportunity, and what was what was it like? So, so, so this is really uh, the first job was actually in Europe, and it was related to uh, technology. Uh, but uh, but after that, because uh, your first question was about investing and finance, the first mm-hmm. finance yeah. job was was in Mexico, and it was uh, in microfinance. So it was for a fund. Uh, that wanted to establish a network of microfinance banks uh, in in Latin America, in Africa, and in uh, in Asia, and this was the first one. So it was very interesting because we we were able to really work on the, the you know the first policies and procedures for uh, for those banks that have been the template since then for for the other countries. That is very interesting, and and. Um... Was it a startup then or, you know, in the fund or was it, um, you know, an established company that wanted to expand? No, it was a startup. So I joined the the, the bank was already established and mm-hmm. I joined uh, probably a few months uh, after the establishment. But uh, so we worked on the policies and procedures and we actually opened and, and uh, started the uh, the operations. So that was uh, that was very interesting. Yeah, definitely. And and so what um just for the listeners out there, what what brings you into microfinance? What what was the draw there? Just is it the social impact side of it or or um or the finance side obviously? I I would say it's a, it's it's a mix of both. Um so I did a business school so I have a very uh, uh commercial uh, uh mindset and uh, I really believe in in sustainable projects and and I believe mobilizing, you know, uh, commercial capital is is really the best way because there is a lot of it to to uh, to to grow something. Uh, but at the same time, you know, in microfinance, you really have that uh, that social impact. You really provide access to finance to people. So uh, so I thought that this was a good blend for me, and and it could it would allow me to uh, to actually travel, which is what I wanted at that time. Yeah, definitely. And uh, some people have the travel bug and they want to want to travel when they're young and yeah. when they're older. And, and some people don't, right? And it, it's it's just everyone's different and everyone wants different things. Some people want stability. And I I knew um, you know, one of my college roommates that uh had had not traveled outside of Canada where I'm from uh until after he uh graduated college. So it was you know, very different um people on both sides of the spectrum out, out there. Sure. So, um, so, so what was next for you after, um, how, how long did you work at the microfinance bank in uh, Mexico? So it was very short. Uh, it was actually, uh, less than a year because after that, uh, we started Madagascar. So I, I was sent to, to, to set up the, uh, the, uh, the bank in Madagascar. And, uh, so I was, uh, employee number one, uh, in uh, Antananarivo and, uh, it was Basically, you know, uh, finding the first office, recruiting the first people, uh, translating that big set of policies and procedures that we've used in uh, in Mexico, and uh, and uh, a few months after, the rest of the the, the team joined me, and um, and 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 so we we started like this, same process. Interesting. So I'll, I'll ask you um, kind of an introspective kind of question. So do do you think that the 
day-to-day role matters of, of what you're doing more or less than the overall company or the industry you work in? In, in other words, the, the work that you were doing um, day-to-day, it doesn't seem like it's all that interesting, but the overall company was interesting. And, and I found that kind of curious where, um, you know, I've been in this similar scenario before where the work isn't that interesting, but the company is, or the, or the fact that it's a small growing startup, um, you know, is very, very interesting to, uh, to me. Sure. No, uh, I think everything is interesting. Uh, it's really, uh, it's really a matter of how, how you see it, how good you want to be and, uh, and what's your, your involvement, uh, in, in, in Mexico, it was interesting because, as I said, it was a discovery of microfinance, and mm-hmm. uh, I had the opportunity to uh, to train um, credit officers. So I was all the time on the field, uh, really meeting customers, meeting those small families in uh, in Veracruz, where uh, uh, and and understanding what they were doing. You know, from from a small taxi mm-hmm. to a, a, a seller of of items uh, in the market to uh, pretty much anything so it was very uh on the field and it was great um in 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 madagascar i had the opportunity to do that a a little bit but it was more you know uh uh, dealing with the authorities to get the license building the team and and meeting with the uh the uh the, the lenders so it was a very different uh, approach, but uh, I mean, you're, you're learning all the time. So, yeah. So it was more high level. You, you kind of graduated up to the, the overarching view of the business as opposed to the day to day and building the, the pieces. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Got it. And so um, w- what was next after that? You, uh, how long did you stay there and, and run the uh, Madagascar office? So that was uh, a bit more than a, a year. Uh, so in a year, we were able to open three branches, uh, recruit close to 150 people. Um, so v- very interesting. But uh, as I mentioned, uh, my mother is half Cambodian. Mm-hmm. And uh, at that time, that's when I started to uh, to go to, to Cambodia to, to visit. And during the last mm-hmm. trip that I did, uh, I really thought that there was something that I I, I could do uh, um, in uh, in Cambodia, and and related to access to finance, related to uh, financing SMEs or entrepreneurs, and uh, and uh, so the idea was to 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 go and settle down in in Cambodia, and that's what I did for the the, the following mm-hmm. uh, twelve years, and uh, so started my own company with a partner. And started to invest in uh, SMEs uh, and discover discovering the uh, all the hurdles that uh, that go with it. Uh, I was pretty much expecting to uh, invest in a few companies, and uh, we had a, a little bit of capital and sit on the board and uh, you know just wait for those dividends to come. And of course, that's that's really when you uh, you discover that it's not like this. Uh, that in those countries you. You need to be extremely hands-on. You need to uh, to do a lot of the work that uh, you know. Operation managers, lo- local entrepreneurs are extremely smart, extremely good at what they do. They 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 earn money, but but there's no proper structure. There's no governance. There's no uh, 
there are no policies and procedures and uh, for any outside investors it's it's uh, it's impossible to to look at them so i identified that niche as something i think interesting it was to work with local entrepreneurs sometimes start our own project but really bring them to a level where they would be investment ready for more sophisticated investors got it so you're you're taking the the mom and pop sort of or smaller com- companies that are profitable that that know how to run their business but they don't know how to scale it right and or how to make it institutional so that you know they can raise more money and and expand yeah yeah exactly yeah and at the same time at the same time starting also uh some businesses because sometimes you know you 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 see an opportunity and nobody is doing it yeah it's it's a it's a bit of a you're not sure you want to do it because it's going to take a lot of time and resources but at the same time nobody's doing it so it, it makes sense to uh to try yeah, I feel like that's one thing that um you, you can't really you can't really do that in developed countries as easy, right? It's it's you know, I, I always think of um, you know, some of our some some people that I know in in Latin America that, you know, start or run or built uh businesses farming cocoa or 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 you know, a manufacturing business and they're very uh, successful, but it, you try and do that in the U.S. You're you're not even you you need so much capital um, just to become you know efficient, and it, it doesn't make sense to do it. True, but you also have to take an. It's easy to set up a business. It's probably cheaper to uh, to 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 do it, but at the same time, you have to really be careful on you know the the timing. And the size of the market. Uh, if you if you look at a country like Cambodia, we're talking about you know, 15 million people. Um, when I arrived, 30% was under the poverty line. 70 or 80% of the population is living in in a rural area. So the number of businesses that you can set up that has a local demand is pretty narrow. Uh, if you think about it, there is no middle class or it's very, very narrow. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you can start many businesses, whether you can scale or have a significant uh, demand, you you really have to to uh, to assess that uh, properly. I've, I've seen a lot of people, you know, starting great businesses, great ideas in, in Cambodia and failing because of that, just because of the timing or the demand that was not not there yet. Yeah, that makes sense. And you know, unless it's in exporting, you got to focus on the on the market that you're serving, right? Exactly, and that's that's the difference, probably, with uh, you know, Western uh, or <laughs> more developed uh, markets, where the demand and the middle class is already there. Yeah. So when you when you started this um, company, how did did you feel like it was you you'd already kind of had your training wheels on when when you when you started the office in Madagascar because that was really you that started that office and from day one and hired people and built the office so was it was it a similar feeling or or was it you know oh man i'm i'm now out completely on my own yeah no uh, once you've done it and and you've done it within a you know corporate framework it it feels like uh, you can you can do it 20 20 times more uh mm-hmm. 
you know, it's 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 a process. Uh, you arrive, you look for the the license, the people. You already have a business plan. You know how much it's going to cost. Uh, it was easy because you uh, the the company was providing the capital, so it was just operations. But you have a very structured uh, set of uh, policies, procedures, people you have to recruit. You just give them their their uh, their set for you know HR or finance and make sure that you have the right people for that. But it's uh yes once once you understand that uh, that process that framework it's easy to duplicate that uh, and that's to be honest I I I spent that time in that corporate world and I was uh, really eager to start on my own and I felt that I had the beginning of the tools to do that. And you'll figure everything else along the way. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh interesting. So so what else um how many other people in Cambodia are 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 focused on kind of venture capital or doing kind of similar uh business than what you're doing? Oh, very few. Uh so when I arrived almost nobody I would say. And today mm -hmm. maybe two or three companies maybe with one or two having regional operations. Uh, and uh, just just one group actually was there when I arrived. That's in 2007. Um, and in the meantime, they became fund managers, uh, yes, in the region. Uh, and I think they're currently raising or they just raised their third uh, third fund. Got it. And and with so few, do you um do you compare notes or collaborate or or is it more of a kind of hands off kind of find your own deals sort of mentality? Well, in the end, I think what we, what I was doing and what we're still doing to some extent is still different from uh, from uh, from them. Uh, mm -hmm. As I said, you have very few sizable uh, companies in Cambodia that are you know, transparent, well-organized, and uh, uh, trying to raise uh, equity or debt from uh, international investors. Uh, there, there are very few of them. You have a lot of uh, either family-run business, sizable ones, or, or tycoons that, that have their operations, but uh, very few, again, sizable business that are uh, willing to have international investors. So all the PE funds and the investors coming, they're looking at those, those guys and they're all fighting for those few deals. But below mm -hmm. that, as I said, uh, at a lower size, uh, ticket size uh, for an investment, you have a lot of those companies, but they're not investment ready. So none of those investors can look at them, but they're there. The demand is there, actually. So it's a matter of adapting your investment criteria and your methodology to be able to to tap into that demand and that's that's what we're doing and i'm not saying it's easy because as <laughs> as you can probably understand there's a uh, you have to find the the economic viability of investing small tickets and i'm talking you know between $100,000 up to a million mm -hmm. in in companies where on top of that, you have to spend time and resources. Uh, of course, it, it requires the same time and resources than a $5 million investment or $10 million investment. So in the end, which one do you want to do? Well, of course, you want to do the five or the 10 million one. Mm -hmm. But uh, the, 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 uh, the, 
the strange thing in those countries is that the demand is more on those smaller tickets, but nobody wants to do them because, as I said, it's not easy. And uh, for for many people, it's not economically viable. Yeah. Unless they grow to uh, to 10 million or, or bigger, you know, because of you, which which I guess is your goal. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. So. So what do you think um, the future is in Cambodia? We've talked about kind of other groups and, and your group and what, how you differentiate yourself. But what, what's the overall economic kind of footprint look like? And, and is the country, I assume, you know, it's still growing fairly, fairly well. But I, I don't frankly know all that much about Cambodia from that side. Yes. Well, it's, uh, you, you know, so, so we had the Khmer Rouge uh, era from 70, 75 to 79. 75 is the year where, when my, my mother had to flee the, the, the country. And in, in early 90s, 91, the, the Paris peace agreement, and that's really, it's almost ground zero for Cambodia. Uh, if you mm. think about it, uh, there was no, no legal framework, no infrastructure, no cadastre, nothing. It, it, it really started, no education, uh, no intellectuals started from zero. And, and what that country has achieved in, uh, in the past 30 years is quite, quite amazing. So it's still a small country, but it's quite amazing. And I, I would say for the past 20 years, the, uh, the GDP growth uh, average probably 8% with some years at 12%. And was able to to become you know a leader in, in in a few in a few sectors like like a garment for example uh so it's it's one of the uh, larger largest uh, garment exporter to uh, mm-hmm. the US or to Europe for example but the the economy is still not very diversified so you have uh, you have of course tourism uh, which is, a, let's say, if we simplify it, a third of the economy. Uh, you have the beautiful uh, Angkor Wat temples in, in Simrip. Then you have uh, the, the garment industry. And uh, again, that's that's a big contribution to the uh, to the GDP. That's probably 30% as well. And then the, the other one is uh, real estate construction. The big potential is agriculture. Because it's a it's a it's a large country. The 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 density of population is pretty low. The, the soil is very fertile. We have a lot of water, um, but uh, but we lack the infrastructure. Again, logistic is a, is a bit expensive. Uh, there is no proper irrigation. So uh, so that's a sector that has a lot of potential, but uh, and and that employs a big part of the population. But it's a very small contributor to the uh, to the GDP. Interesting. So, um, so I guess a good segue. Um, tell me about some of the investments that you've made at, at Obor, and um, and what you uh, what you're excited about. Um, so one of the ones uh, that, that that is very exciting is uh, it's called the Kwash, stands for uh, Khmer Water uh, uh, Supply Holding. It's it's a company that I, I founded uh, probably eight years ago. Uh, it was very small, and the idea was to uh, to secure um, water stations, or at least a license, you know, in a specific district, uh, semi-urban uh, district, because the big cities were already taken by uh, public uh, companies. But the idea was to go in a district where you have, uh, you know, between three, four, five thousand households up to ten thousand households, 
secure that exclusive license for that district and uh, either buy the existing uh, water station or or build one and uh, it's it's a little bit capital intensive but once mm-hmm. once you have this and you start you know connecting each household with with meters and when, once you start laying the pipe to connect them it becomes again an infrastructure with very recurrent and stable revenues you know the consumption is increasing because you're giving access to clean water to people and mm-hmm. at the same time you're you're you know you have a very strong impact uh people don't need to go to the the well anymore they don't need to use the uh the non-treated water from the 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 river uh with all the impact that you can imagine on their their health hygiene and uh so so it's it's really i think it's a, it's a it's it's one of those uh, uh interesting uh, uh project where the success is embedded in the commercial success the impact sorry the mm-hmm. social impact is embedded with the commercial success and those are the best ones uh the more you grow the company the more impact you're going to have on the uh, on the population do you feel like um th- those kind of investments are investments that you you know in the long term uh you're creating an even bigger market for yourself um really by doing it it's it's almost like you're you, if you create the like the infrastructure for the water supply now they have water now they need the next thing and the next thing and and you're sort of building up this this economy yeah no uh, absolutely so you know we started with one i was fortunate enough to have a a very early seed investor which is a fund called uh, Incitor it's an impact fund with uh, mm-hmm. operations in in the region and uh, they, they so they invested very early in the process and then so we did a second one and a third and a fourth and a fifth today today we have a uh, 200,000 uh, people in 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 those districts where we provide the water we not all of them are connected of course but as you say we are we have a point of entry with them we provide clean mm-hmm. water but we're already starting to uh to 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 provide other things we're 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 piloting uh uh sinks that we can provide to uh, to them then soon it's going to be shower then soon it's going to be toilets uh then you know after that you can also offer them insurance or or mm-hmm. really many things or financing right it's you know every yeah yeah because i mean they they, if they they have to pay for their water somehow and sometimes they don't their their revenues aren't um as stable as the water revenues right so i would imagine i you know with the background of microfinance that's a that's a perfect uh reason so absolutely uh, very interesting so so what's the um what would you say is your been your biggest challenge that you've had to face through through obor through obor like creating you know launching the the company getting investors finding deals or just operating no so the the uh there's as i said there are a lot of opportunities in in cambodia once you once you know once you have the local insight once you know how it works once you understand that timing i mentioned before and uh, you know mm-hmm. you, you uh, hopefully you don't come too early or or too late you can really there are a lot of things to do you you can really uh, find a lot of projects 
the big issue is uh, is finance. Uh, you know, Cambodia is a capital deprived country, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this is the case for many of the uh, frontier markets. They uh, they are not connected to the financial uh, uh, markets. Uh, their their banking sector is dysfunctioning. Uh, you know, banks are very conservative. They don't do any project finance. They do only lending based on collateral, which is land, because they don't have the the uh, knowledge to 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 do anything else. And uh, and very often those those countries are not on the radar for for institutional investors. So. Mm-hmm. Only a few years ago, I mean, the number of uh, uh, multinationals that were present in in Cambodia was still very limited. I, I would say it's still limited today. So mm-hmm. access to finance is a big, big issue, as I said. Now, it's changing slowly. You start to have, you know, more banks. They're they're getting better, more sophisticated. There's a stock exchange uh, with a few companies already listed. Uh, even though it's it's very limited, uh, and you have some funds uh, uh, coming and and willing to invest, but it's still extremely limited. As I said, I mean the number of uh, PE funds or or VCs looking at Cambodia, it's probably less than ten, I would say. Yeah, and if they are looking right, as as you said, they're looking at the bigger tickets and and not you know trying to grow these smaller companies, which makes sense economically for them, but at the end of the day, um, you know, you I, I feel like what you're doing has a has a bigger impact on on uh, the entire country and the economy and, and b- helping people build, um, you know, into the next step. So, yeah, um, great. I, so go ahead. No, and I, and, I, and I think, you know, what I was able to the experience I had in in, uh, in microfinance uh, was really, you know, providing access to finance. Mm-hmm. From 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 uh, and refinancing with uh, uh, institutional investors that were in in France in that case, but uh, I also worked on a uh, the listing of a c- uh, company in Thailand, which is the same principle to be able to invest in those countries. So ta- to to be able to tap into uh, uh, markets and pockets where there is a lot of capital. And to be able to allocate it in a secured manner in those countries, I think, is really something uh, uh, interesting. Absolutely. So, so what advice would you give to someone, you know, l- looking to move across the world and start their life somewhere else, uh, kind of like you did? I mean, in your in your case, you you were moving back to, um, you know, where where you had family roots. Um, but w- what if, you know, what advice would you give to someone looking to move? You know, to somewhere completely new, emerging frontier market. Oh wow! Uh, well, of course, do that as soon as you can, as young as you can. I would say. Um, uh, to, to be honest, I, I don't know. I, I know some people uh, who just decided to, you know, put a, a finger on on the map and decided to go there. Some others, it's because they have roots or friends or, uh, but. Uh, I would say any opportunity that you have to do that, uh, yes, you you should do it. And uh, and maybe mm-hmm. another one is you know when you are studying and you have the opportunity to do a, an internship or uh, or or a, uh, a specific journey in a, in a country, you should you should always try to uh, 
to do it. Perfect. So last question. Um, what's in the future for Obor and, and what, it, what, what do you want to tell everyone that's listening to the podcast if, if there's anything? Um, I think, I think we have a, a, a model that is, uh, quite, quite unique uh, for, for, for what I, I, I described, uh, the fact that we're able to work with, uh, um, SMEs that are under the radar, not investment ready. There's a big trend uh, right now uh, in, in the world, uh, I would say. Um, it's called blended finance, where you know several stakeholders understand that to be able to identify those kind of projects, to support them very early in the process uh, and, and at some point make them investment ready and, and be able to provide capital, finance, uh, financial capital, but also uh, intellectual capital from the beginning to uh, uh, and, and at least for the first you know five years of, of the life cycle of a, of a company, that's how you you create you know big companies, and uh, and and those stakeholders I'm talking about you know they're they're NGOs they're they're uh, VCs they're uh, uh, incubators they're uh, early stage investors seed investors and then the development capital providers. I, I think what people are starting to understand is that they need to work together, knowing what is their specialty, but they need to work together, identify together projects, and take them through the, the, the those cycles instead of uh, working totally separately. So it's a, I would say what's what's key in those uh, in those markets, it's the collaboration of the ecosystem, and uh, for. At, at Obor, I think we've been through many of those phases. So, you know, we wanted to be a private equity, but we realized that we had to be VC and all, almost like founders and and, uh, and very early investors ourselves, sometimes entrepreneurs ourselves. And mm -hmm. it's difficult because, uh, you know, that you, you, you get spread over too many things. But at least you understand that. And I think today what we're trying to do is... Uh, is be able to leverage on these uh, uh, missing parts and identify partners and people that can that can do that with uh, with us. Perfect, great. Well, um, thank you very much, Christoph. I, I really appreciate you taking the time, as I as I mentioned before, and and joining me on Funviews podcast. I will uh, give a quick shout out to um, uh, Rising Giants podcast. It was uh, it's um, actually run by. Uh, a friend of Christoph's and, the, and a friend of mine that made this introduction and made this podcast happen. Yeah, Max. Max, yeah. Yeah, great. And that's all for today's episode. Please like, follow, subscribe, and share with friends, family, and colleagues to further support Fun Views Podcast. Until next time.